Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Welcome to the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast. I am your host, Rob Howe, answering your questions from Twitter. And this is a special Festivus edition of the Hawkeye Fanat- or Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast. It is December the 23rd and a little after one o'clock. Uh, And for the Seinfeld aficionados out there, uh, you're aware that this is Festivus. And with that, we air grievances. Uh, Very, one of the more popular episodes of the popular sitcom uh, from the 90s. And uh, you should watch that if you haven't before. But uh, so we have some questions and we have some airing of grievances on this episode. Um, Wish you all happy holidays and Hope you guys enjoy uh, your Christmas or whatever you celebrate at this time of year. Um, As of now, we're still looking at a Music City Bowl against Missouri uh, a week from today, actually, on uh, December the 30th in Nashville. It's a three o'clock, excuse me, Central Time kickoff. And uh, we'll see if that happens. I was on pause right now. Missouri's players are away from the program uh, with their coach allowing them to go home or wherever the case may be uh, to celebrate the holiday. So both teams are expected back at practice on Saturday, and we'll kind of just see how that goes. Uh, That would be Saturday, uh, December the 26th, and we'll see if they can get it in. So I have some questions on that as well that I'll hit on here, but uh, let's dive right in here. If I'm, I apologize if I'm lacking energy for you guys today. This is my third podcast that I'm recording. I recorded the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast with uh, Scott Docterman earlier today, and we ran almost two hours. And then I did uh, do a podcast on uh, Your Prep Sports, a area, uh, Iowa City area high school uh, sports podcast with Ryan Merkin. Uh, just wrapped that up a bit ago. And now I'm going to finish this up and then hopefully take a little time to myself and my family uh, for the next couple of days until uh, until Iowa plays on Christmas Eve. Iowa basketball plays uh, Minnesota, 7 o'clock Christmas, not Christmas Eve, Christmas Day night. So that uh, gives us a little bit of Hawkeye entertainment on the holiday. Uh, looking forward to that. Let's jump in with uh, Randy Kopecki at R. J.K. Hawk on Twitter, and he asked, what or who will Kirk's next airing of the grievances be? It's a good question. I wouldn't say uh, the Iowa coach is a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
somebody who, who uh, c- complains or, or airs grievances often. Uh, sometimes he's provoked into airing his grievances, uh, usually role-related uh, and often having to do with offensive line blocking or blocking in general. Um, the chop blocking rules, we've heard plenty of these. Uh, uh, him going off uh, on those rules, and that's that's probably where I would go, Randy. I think here's going to be, um, you know, I, th- I think we've all in this year of 2020 gotten a better perspective on things, so we're not maybe complaining about as trivial things that we used to complain about a lot more. But um, my guess is it'll be some type of rule with uh, Kirk Ferentz. He likes to uh, uh, voice his opinion when there's a rule that he finds nonsensical or, or one that he doesn't agree with. So I would go that way uh, with Kirk's next grievance. And maybe it's, maybe it's quarantine too <laughs> in terms of – him having to be in quarantine right now um, instead of with his football team. But uh, everybody's paused in the Iowa football building is closed right now. So um, we'll see how this goes. It's been a crazy year. They got eight games in, should be happy with that, even if they can't get the bowl game in. But let's hope they get to play one more football game because that's what the players want to do. And to me, that's why it's important. As long as the players want to play, um, let them play if they're able to, and it's safe. Uh, Dan Brockett at Freakademic on Twitter is going to air a grievance, I see. And I will read this as I said I would when I sent out the bat signal for questions and grievances for this podcast uh, yesterday, last evening, Tuesday, uh, December 22nd, last night. I, I usually the night before I record these podcasts, I sent out, I sent out a tweet uh, soliciting questions. And in last night's tweet, I also solicited grievances and uh, we will throw this one out from Dan. As much as I loved to watch it, there should have been no football season and no in-person classes and a nation where maybe five to 10% have had the virus. We're hearing half of half or more of our athletes have had it. Some of that is absolutely due to them playing sports. So my grievance is that the fact of people having played has resulted in people assuming playing is correct, and people are ignoring how many players had it. The possibility of long-term consequences we don't know, and the likelihood that they were a vector for a spread. That is Dan's grievance. And uh, on cue, shortly after that, Matt Miller at Iowa Liberty on Twitter responded to Dan's tweet with Doomer of the day right here, directing that at Dan. You do not know the virus poses a vanishingly minuscule risk to those under 60. And for athletes in their prime, like college football players, they have much more risk driving the mopeds around campus. Um, Get out of here with your scare tactics. And the reason I read Matt's tweet in response to Dan's tweet is this kind of has been, I will piggyback this into my grievance, which is I don't deny or uh, wouldn't deny either one of their opinions. It's when they kind of go at it together uh, that one has an opinion and the other one comes back. And I I get it. That's the platform of Twitter. Um, 
it's just, I'm, I'm tired. It's been a long year of this. And the thing I think that makes this kind of so uh, prevalent, these, these coronavirus exchanges on social media and elsewhere, is that we don't know. We just don't know. I mean, we could find out that these, this virus has no long, long-term consequences to these athletes. And, you know, it was, you know, it was as much risk as, as something else, you know, concussion for that matter. Um, should they be playing football because of concussions and all the guys that get concussions and we're seeing long-term effects from head injuries? Should there even be contact football? Um, and I'm not downplaying your point, Dan, because I tend to agree uh, that I push back on people that say that there's no risk to this virus for people under the age of 60 because we don't know. We don't know the long-term effects. And if you look at the, the case right now with Keontae Johnson, and I think somebody asked this question later, so I'll get into this a little bit more, but there could be and Keontae Johnson is a, a basketball, high-level basketball player from Florida who was projected as a first-round pick who collapsed last week. And it's been found that uh, he had COVID. And now this collapse is related to uh, a heart condition that may or may not be related to COVID. Time will tell. And that's the thing. We just don't know. I just think, you know, the, I come down on the side of, you know, should they be playing sports right now? I don't know. The players want to play, and I've heard that from football and basketball players alike. And, uh, I mean, it's an open-ended debate. They chose to play. You know, would they have been better playing in the spring or just canceling the season? What type of, you know, economic hardships would that cause? Would that, you know, it, it's all just really – um, it's very debatable because we don't have answers and you can talk to your blue in the face about what might be without knowing the answers. And I know this is kind of a vague conversation here, but, um, you know, it's, Dan certainly has a grievance. Um, I think Matt's grievance is more, and it's the way you deliver these two. And then Dan responded to Matt, you know, in an edgy tone and with some <laughs> profanity. Um, but, you know, I think Matt has a point that maybe some people go overboard in terms of, um, uh, you know, pushing, uh, I, I don't want to say scare tactics, but that gets tiring, too, when you, you're hearing so much about, you know, um, people not being able to do things. You can do things safely during a pandemic. But unfortunately, I think as a country, we have not practiced safe measures. We can talk about how we, you know, can go on with our lives as long as we take the proper, proper precautions. Um, but that hasn't been done. Otherwise, we wouldn't have as big issues as we have. But I'll move off that point right now. And uh, I appreciate your grievance, Dan. And uh, hopefully you and Matt can make up on, uh, on social media or just avoid each other, which probably is best right now for everybody as uh, we go through this. 
uh, E at NBA underscore fan underscore 2014, a, uh, a regular contributor to this podcast checks in with, what are your New Year's resolutions for Iowa football and basketball and the Big Ten? I think for me, um, I don't know if this qualifies as a resolution, but getting back to and piggybacking off our, our previous uh, conversation or topic uh, to get fans back in the stands, the more the merrier. Uh, it just, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, you know, we've all had to sacrifice things, but these student athletes work their butts off um, and not being able to perform in front of an audience is kind of a, a crappy hand to be dealt. Um, it's, you know, I'm sure they're glad to be playing in any capacity, but just not the same without fans in the stands. And it's unfortunate because Iowa had a, a football team that would have packed Kinnick and they, uh, and they certainly have a men's basketball team, women's basketball, wrestling, all of these sports that are doing very well right now, maybe the best they've done collectively in, in some time. And definitely has been, the, you know, this is a, a, as good collectively as Iowa's been in, in the sports department uh, overall, the athletic department overall in performance and in quite some time. So that's really for Big Ten and the Iowa and football basketball just get the fans back, um, make it healthy, get vaccinated, uh, make it so we can get back to as much normal or as close to previous normal as we could be. I know there will still be um, safety measures put in place, I'm sure, moving forward as we as we navigate, you know, a return to, uh, again, more normal life, quote unquote, uh, moving forward. Second question from E, will Roger Waters resolve to do a concert in 2021 that's rant-free and would Pat Hardy go to the concert? Second part first, yes, Pat would go to the concert. First part, um, this for people that are unaware of the connection here, and I I don't know it as closely as, uh, but this is kind of my, uh, I've talked to Pat about this. that it's a discussion on his uh, podcast on KCJJ. Roger Waters has a tendency to get political <laughs> during his concerts and has, uh, has incurred the wrath of people that just want to hear his music. And that's the whole other thing to stick to music, stick to sports crowd. It's very complicated, but yes, I would go see a Roger Waters concert in a heartbeat. And I think Pat would too, particularly if he wasn't talking about doing, you know, the poly, you know, he if it was rant free, all the better, but I'd even probably put up with some rants uh, just to hear the music, but will Burlington get a new minor league team next year? Um, it's a good question. I would say no to next year. Um, hopefully they get some type of affiliated professional baseball, semi-pro, something down there. What's happening in, in with baseball is just, a, it's a shame. Uh, it, it hurts at my heart because baseball was my number one love growing up. Then basketball kind of came in as I got older and football was, is, was there as well. But grew up in New York. Baseball's huge there. It is the number one sport in that city. Um, and uh, 
just always have a, you know, I have, I, 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 I kind of romanticize the sport probably a little bit more than most people that are younger. Uh, but being 53, uh, grew up with baseball and played it and watched it and, and have always enjoyed it. Been, you know, a statistical freak, uh, always checking on, uh, you know, and, and I'm a big fantasy baseball, uh, uh, player as well. I enjoy the 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 sport in that from that angle as well. Uh, my my regular gambling days are pretty much over, so I don't really partake in uh, betting baseball games. But stay involved with fantasy baseball and just enjoy the sport. Probably a lot more than the younger generation. But hopefully, Clinton. It's a shame. I think I had heard Clinton is the oldest member of the Midwest League. Burlington. It's a shame to see those uh, members of the Midwest League with the, you know, with the uh, changes in Major League Baseball and the agreement with Minor League Baseball, that those uh, parks will be empty if there is a Minor League Baseball this summer. We haven't got to that point. Um, and I wouldn't say that the Quad Cities and, and Cedar Rapids are uh, immune to something happening down the line as well. This is all really tenuous right now. Hopefully, uh, Major League Baseball understands how important grassroots baseball is to um, to the sport and how it grows fans. So I think they're pretty uh, ignorant to that, and hopefully they will uh, come to their senses at some point. But I do not see Burlington getting baseball, but uh, a minor league baseball team back anytime soon. Hopefully that changes. And then lastly, he asked, will Iowa play the, the bowl game if Kirk's, Kirk is sick? I think they would. Um, veteran staff, uh, I think they could probably handle uh, what they need to do for the bowl game with or without Kirk and have him, you know, that be in communication with him virtually. Um, this is just going to be a really – even if they start Saturday and play Wednesday, you're probably looking at Saturday, Sunday, Monday practice – Tuesday travel, Wednesday game, Wednesday night or or Thursday morning travel home. Very short trip, shorter than regular season trip. Um, and I think they're going to do whatever they can to play this game. So, yeah, I would say the, only, the, the ways that this game may be postponed, number one, uh, COVID, just, you know, the outbreak is so big on the Iowa team that they uh, can't play by you know by big 10 rules or it's just it's it's not feasible to play uh if it hits a position group offensive line defensive line quarterback room uh you know if, if that's the case uh you know that i could see that doing it in um, but also i think what's being forgotten here is everybody's kind of focused on iowa because that's our world and that's where we are missouri led as i said earlier in this podcast missouri let all its players leave campus they don't have to and maybe you know i'm sure some stayed but a lot of them went home all across the country so they're going to be back on saturday or friday or saturday get tested and then what happens there how many guys get tested they've their numbers have been way down for their last few games anyway 50 available players 55 available players and they're getting killed any on the field, um, I don't know how much that has to do. They've had a couple players opt out already. Their best defensive player, their best offensive lineman. 
Um, so I, I think to keep an eye on what's happening at Missouri as well as what's happening uh, with Iowa to see if that bowl game comes off. We've seen bowl games canceled, you know, pretty much consistently throughout this month. So would not surprise me at all if the Music City Bowl doesn't come off. But as of the recording of this podcast, it's going to go. And I think with or without Kirk Ferentz, it would still go. Uh, Lindsay, but people call me Wendy on Twitter at the underscore Wendy BS uh, asks, What's the effect of Keontae Johnson? This was the question I had referenced earlier. Keontae Johnson is a a basketball player from Florida who collapsed during a game, recently found out that it could be myocarditis. If at any rate, there's some type of heart issue there. Is that related to COVID? That's going to be something that we kind of – uh, he was diagnosed with heart inflammation uh, after collapsing on the court, and that's something that's been linked to COVID. You got to see if that is again. We can't have we can't always have answers right away on these things. Sometimes it takes some time, more study, uh, but it's certainly something to keep an eye on. Um, Lindsay asks, what's the effect of Keontae Johnson being diagnosed with myocarditis, possibly a result from having COVID earlier this year? Lots of MRIs for players and coaches. Hesitation from player to risk exposure. This is a, Wendy, this is an interesting, or Lindsay, uh, I guess I'll call you one of, it says people call you Wendy, so I'll call, I'll call you Wendy. And I appreciate the question and I uh, checking in on this podcast. I certainly think it gives people and athletes, coaches, universities, liability, uh, potential uh, for uh, long-term effects. Uh, As I said, Keontae Johnson was projected as a first-round pick. I mean, does this end his career? Hopefully not. Hopefully he gets a chance to play again and they can figure this out uh, to let, uh, you know, he gets an opportunity to play again. But, um, We'll see. I mean, I, I think it's been in the back of people's mind. Uh, the antigen testing, the everyday testing has helped uh, to a degree to allow uh, these programs to play and compete. Um, but even that, I mean, was there three or four Big Ten teams that got all eight regular season games in? Uh, four out of 14 or three out of 14, whatever it was. It wasn't a lot. There were plenty of teams that ended up missing games, players that were sidelined. Uh, so I, th- I I don't know what the effect will be, Wendy, but I think it just is another uh, chapter to this story, another layer to this story of gathering information. You know, people thought that this could be a possibility, but there are no, there was no concrete evidence that, hey, you know, you're going to get myocarditis if you have, I mean, they do heart tests, they're screened, um, the college athletes I'm talking about. So this is, this this was on, you know, heart ailments and, and physicals aspects of a physical were put were in place prior to COVID. So um, this is just another thing now that needs, you know, another aspect of health that needs to be monitored. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. I hope there aren't other, I hope there aren't further, further cases 
to Keontae Johnson where this is a possibility, but now it's what schools, athletes, coaches have to, you know, they, they've been keeping an eye on it, but now there's evidence that this is, a, you know, something to, that needs to be uh, addressed and um, studied. And this is going to continue to go on, but I don't know how much of an effect it'll have because I won't go off on too much of a tangent here, but this was 20 years ago, maybe even more than that, when I was working at the Iowa City Press Citizen. And, and those who know or follow the uh, girls' state basketball tournament, it's often uh, affected by poor weather and they don't cancel the games. And uh, <laughs> I got caught in a snowstorm once going from Iowa City uh, to Des Moines for the press citizen to cover a state tournament. And I got mad and I wrote a column about it that, you know, you're putting people at risk. And of course the coaches aren't going to cancel these competitions. They love it. The players certainly want to play. The schools want the players and the coaches to be able to compete. Sometimes you have to have a governing body or, um, and we saw this with, you know, Kevin Warren and the Big Ten and the backlash for them playing it safe. They, their hand was almost forced by the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 who said, hey, we're going to play no matter what. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, months, years, decades down the line, if something in hindsight we find out affects people's health, long-term effects of this. and you know, the, the people that compete aren't probably going to take themselves out of competition. It has to be people that govern. Um, and that's why even if an athlete, there will be athletes that look at Keontae Johnson's situation and say, Hey, I'm not taking that chance, but I think the vast majority want to play and want to compete and they're going to take their chances. And it's a risk reward type thing. They want to be rewarded for their hard work and training by being able to compete. And that outweighs the risk of a potential unknown illness. So hopefully that answers your question. I really don't have any concrete or, or solid answer to your question, Wendy, other than to just share some thoughts on it. And I appreciate you bringing it forward. Uh, Daniel Schneider at Cosmo Doggy Dog, another frequent contributor to the Mailbag Podcast. Twitter is a year-round festivus, festivus airing of grievances. That uh, is, a, is a, a, a well-stated Daniel. I would say that that is uh, very accurate. Since they suspended practice, will the Hawks still play in a bowl game, even if they aren't able to practice? Yeah, this is an interesting question, Daniel, and one I don't have, a, again, I don't have a great answer to. Um, sorry, kind of like Wendy's question. It's just kind of more a sharing of thoughts here, uh, just because, and I know people hate this word, it's unprecedented times right now that we're in, and it's hard to know. Uh, what's going to happen and, and, you know, what decisions will be made here. Um, no practice at all. Cause Iowa hasn't practiced since last Tuesday, which would have been the 15th, I think of December. And we're at the 23rd of December. So Iowa hasn't practiced in eight days. Um, so that would roughly take you to, um, what almost it would be roughly two weeks without practice before playing against Missouri. Will they do that? 
I don't know. I, I don't know how bad I would, I would say that, you know, it's not the greatest idea to play, but I think it'd be kind of interesting to know preparation for the team, either team and just go out there and play football with no real overthinking it. Who, who knows? That could be interesting, but uh, I think they're going to get probably get back to practice Daniel in some way, shape or form. It's going to be a matter of how many guys they can get back to practice. You know, you could have, you know, a certain percentage of the team beginning on Saturday and then just kind of folding in more guys as they're able to come off of quarantine or, uh, you know, they're cleared to play going, you know, then Sunday, then Monday, then Tuesday, and just kind of building it in there. Sure, there's a lot of virtual preparation going on this week in terms of Zoom calls by positions, by offense, defense, by overall team, uh, a lot of film watching on Missouri individually. Um, these guys are still have roommates um, and probably can watch film together that way. Um, and through this whole year, I think these players and coaches have gotten used to prepper, you know, preparing without being in person, even in the buildings. A lot of times they'll have zoom meetings just to, you know, decrease the exposure time with each other. If, uh, if it can be done that way. And it was done a lot of that way through the spring and summer uh, when cases were happening. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I really don't have a feel one way or the other. It seems kind of uh, out there to think that they could play a bowl game uh, without practicing at all on the field for the bowl. Um, but my, my, my sense is if they can't practice at all before Sunday, they might think about, you know, cashing in the chips on the season, so to speak, but that's just speculation. I really don't know. Thank you, as always, for the question, Daniel. Uh, sit down at Love the Hawks on Twitter, another frequent contributor to the podcast. I love all the regulars and the first timers as well. He asks, should we start getting nervous with, like, only one recruit committed for next season? How do we compare against other Big Ten schools in commitment numbers currently? So I actually did some preparation for once on this podcast and looked this up. Um, and uh, Iowa does have one commitment in the 2022 recruiting cycle. Uh, and these guys can first sign their national letters of intent uh, a year from this month, uh, you know, obviously signing day was a week ago today on the 16th. Um, so we're a little bit less than a full year before these guys can even sign letters of intent. Iowa has one commitment in-state defensive lineman, Aaron Graves, a four-star is committed in this class. Um, and I'll go through, uh, alphabetical order wise, the other, uh, Big Ten members and the commitments that each has. Illinois has zero commitments in this class. Indiana has zero commitments in the 22 class. Maryland has three, a four-star and two three-stars. Michigan has four, two four-stars and two three-stars. Michigan State has two, both three-stars. Minnesota has one, a four-star. Nebraska and Northwestern Big Ten West foes, both are without a verbal commitment in the 22 class. 
Ohio State, which is just, it's a different animal, has nine commitments already in the 2022 class, two five-stars, six four-stars, and one three-star. So if we want to get into a deeper conversation, it's how does everybody else compete with that? And that's another discussion for another day. Uh, Penn State has seven commitments in its 22 class, and they are all four-stars. Um, Purdue has two commitments one four star and one three star Rutgers has three all three stars and Wisconsin another big 10 west foe has zero so if you just break it down to the big 10 west Iowa one Illinois zero Minnesota one Nebraska zero Northwestern zero Wisconsin zero Purdue two so in relation to that not time to panic yet. It is certainly something to keep an eye on. I think if you look at it from an Iowa perspective, Iowa benefits greatly from getting recruits onto campus and maybe showing them what we all love about Iowa City and the surroundings and the facilities and the fan base and everything that makes Iowa football um, attractive has been shut down this year because of COVID and the dead period that will basically run. It began in March and will run through this March. And it's going to be interesting how schools are able to kind of fast track recruiting when it comes to the spring, if they are able to get recruits on campus in April and really what the NCAA do should a NCAA should do for these prospects even more than the schools is to allow they open things up in April and, or or May once the vaccine you know uh, people the vaccine becomes more available to the public they can then have you know these prospects on campus just make it wide open let them visit whenever they want don't have live dead whatever just let it be let for the rest of the year up to signing day, let prospects visit whenever they can and let the schools host them. Official visits, unofficial visits, however you want to, you know, you can maybe loosen up or add official visits in there. Whatever you can do to be able to accommodate what was lost here in the last year to, for these prospects that weren't able to find. Because we're looking at the transfer portal now and there's like seven, 800 people in the transfer portal kids are moving all over give them the best opportunity to find the schools that best fit them it's they're still going to be transfers but really concessions need to be made here to make this uh uh make this uh, more beneficial to the recruit so that's kind of my thought on that and i was a good question uh sit down it was uh, uh something that had been in my mind something i had looked at looked at uh, maybe last month or the month before and numbers have gone up a little bit in the big 10 but Overall, I think uh, the uh, dead period throughout 2020, excuse me, has impacted recruiting across the board. Obviously, we're not blind here. Iowa is going to have to continue to be proactive in terms of its reputation based on the racial bias that was found in its program this summer. Seems like Iowa's moving in the right direction in terms of the program and inclusion and, and th you know, those things that needed to be fixed 
And now they're going to have to continue to fix those things on the recruiting trail because like it or not, it's going to be used against it on the recruiting trail. So we'll kind of keep an eye on that. It's a fluid situation. Uh, Joe Williams at Iowa Fan Williams, another got a lot of regulars today, and I appreciate that. Which positions will Iowa football look for grad transfers? Kind of piggybacking off the last question. Uh, a lot of guys in that transfer portal, uh, free agency that we had seen in college basketball uh, has now made its way to college football. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this uh, moving forward. And I think for Iowa, Joe, we're probably looking at, in if you listen to the Hotspot podcast that we posted earlier today with Scott and I, we kind of bandied this about in terms of does Iowa look at a uh, – graduate transfer at the quarterback position bunch of quarterbacks out there check out the hawkeye hotspot podcast for discussion on that i think offensive line and defensive line those are positions and we saw the impact of jack heflin we saw the potential impact of koi Kronk this year those are positions where it's tough to bring guys in in recruiting that could contribute right away it just doesn't happen a lot, unless it's a Tristan Wirfs or an A.J. Epinesa type. Um, Iowa's going to have attrition on the offense and defensive lines uh, to the NFL, potentially uh, transfer portal, Larry Jackson, potentially Tyler Linderbaum, potentially Cole Banwar, uh, Chauncey Golston, Jack Heflin, uh, Zach Van Valkenburg's a potential guy that could go. Um, you know, Davion Nixon, uh, they could get hit pretty hard on both of the lines. So that I think are where that's, those are the positions where I think Iowa looks the hardest at grad transfers, guys that are ready made that could come in from, you know, a Northern Illinois or another Mac school or even another power five school um, and, and come in guys that are accomplished guys that, that have built themselves up since high school in the weight room from a physical and from a mental standpoint in terms of the game of football um, I think running back is a position that you could potentially add somebody Tyler Goodson goes into year three uh, Ivory Kelly Martin will be coming off uh, knee surgery next year Makai Sargent likely tries his uh, hand at the NFL uh, and playing professional football uh, you've got the two Williams uh, who are true freshmen this year Shadrick Bird left the program uh, there are no running backs signed so far in the 2021 class. Eli Sanders from Arizona, who's committed to Boise State, which just had a coaching change, uh, will be coming out here next month on visits that won't be sanctioned, so to speak. He can't meet with coaches. He can't meet with players. But he and his family can, are going to visit Iowa and Iowa State, two schools that uh, um, have offered him uh, since his Boise State commitment, other schools could jump in as well in this late signing period. It's much more of a – there's much more of a demand than there is a supply at this point. So we'll see what happens with him. But that's a high school back. But I could see Iowa trying to supplement its backfield through the transfer portal. And then potentially other positions if, uh, you know, there's a fit there. Uh, but those – I think offensive-defensive line would be one, one, one A – you know, 1A, 1B for me. I think those are the areas that I think, depending on who leaves and, and if guys do decide to come back, those right now is at least from where I view it now, Joe, those would be the positions I think uh, that would be most likely to be addressed. 
Um, Kyle at Kyle Bolin on Twitter asks, Spencer Petras beat Wisconsin in his eighth start, went six and two with no offseason and during a global pandemic. Can we finally admit he did pretty well this year? No argument for me, Kyle. I've been a advocate and um, supporter of Spencer since the beginning of the season. And I've said it on this podcast. I've said it on other podcasts. I've written about it. Well, as you stated, very unusual off season. And, um, you know, the, the, the development and just preparation for what he was able – he didn't have non-conference games. I thought he got better as the season went on. He's still inconsistent, but I expected – inconsistency ups and down throughout this whole season I just that was my expectation everybody has their own expectations for what they want in a quarterback and what they expect in a quarterback but to me rationally objectively I think Spencer Preachers was pretty much what I expected and I still think his best football is ahead of him uh Nate Stanley was wildly inconsistent for his first year as a starter, even his second year as a starter. Shoot, you can make a case at third year as a starter, but he got better each year. And I think there's the potential there for Spencer to do it. I know there's been a call by a lot of fans, guys in the media. I think Scott Docterman has mentioned this on our Hotspot podcast that the competition needs to be opened in the spring. And I think they do that to an extent every year. Uh, all positions at Iowa, but you can say that and doing it are two different things. Uh, but I really do believe if Alex Padilla or um, Deuce Hogan or even Joe Labus coming in as a true freshman show enough to over that they are better quarterbacks than Spencer Petras, I think they'll play. And that's not, and I know we, we went through this with Jay Christensen and Ricky Stanzi and CJ Beathard and Jake Rudock. And it's not always an exact science. It's not always a black and white view. Um, but let's just see how this thing shakes out. The guy won six games in a row. Um, and, you know, I thought got better as the season went on. Got too much heat. But that comes with the position too, Kyle. It's quarterback at Iowa. It's, it's the most recognizable position, all things being equal. Uh, when there's not a Luca Garza or Spencer Lee or something like that. It's the most pressurized and most scrutinized position in the state for, of any sports position is playing Iowa quarterback and everybody, armchair quarterback, everybody has an answer to um, <laughs> what should be done at that position. Uh, Alec Ahmed Johnson at Ahmed Johnson on Twitter asks, as a fellow Jets fan, I never thought I would be so disappointed in a win, but that is typical Jets fashion. With Bielema going to Illinois, do you see them becoming a factor in the West in the next few years? With them recruiting Illinois more, how will that impact Iowa? Yeah, I was disappointed as a Jets fan as you, Alec, and uh, – I'm kind of – I won't spend a lot of time on this because we've got a lot of questions and this has been a, a pretty long pod in, in relation to most of our mailbag podcasts. But I'm almost of the, the belief now is if you don't get Trevor Lawrence, take P.A. Sewell with that second or third pick wherever they end up, whatever they do in these last two games, and then maybe get Zach Wilson and with that second first-round pick as a quarterback. 
but that's just kind of where my mind is now. I need to think about it more. Uh, Beale and McGowan, Illinois, as, as Scott and I talked about this a lot on the Hotspot podcast earlier today, please check that out. I'm pimping that a lot, but uh, a lot of these questions we talked about as well on that podcast, but we went over Beale and McGowan to Illinois. Um, We'll see what type of factor. I mean, Illinois hopes that it makes, you know, the, the, the school that hired him hopes that it impacts and, and, you know, they become a a factor again. They haven't been a factor really in the West. Um, As I said on the podcast and and Scott uh, agreed, uh, we've known Brett, we've covered Brett. He's a very engaging guy. He's a good football coach. He's a very good recruiter. As you mentioned, I think it will impact Iowa to a degree. We don't know who he's going to, hire as assistants because those guys are often very important or not very often they are always important in terms of recruiting and laying the groundwork for recruiting brett is very involved in that aspect of of the job so i think um that you know he may have a little bit more impact there than maybe other head coaches Um, but i'm interested to see i'm interested to see where this goes and and i think it breathes a little life into what has become a basically a dormant Iowa, Illinois series, a once really entertaining football series. And we see what it can be in basketball now currently. And that went dormant for a while. Hopefully this breathes some life back into this rivalry. And and I don't think Iowa fans want to see Iowa lose to Illinois, but maybe a little bit more competition there makes it a little bit, gives it a little bit more juice. And, and I, I think that will happen. I think um, Brett can probably take it um, a notch above where Lovey had it and Lovey had it, had it going in a, in a pretty good way. Recruiting was improving and who knows where it was going from here. It's tough to win in the big 10. There are a lot of really competitive programs and it's going to, for Brett, it's going to be a combination of being able to recruit guys and then also developing that talent. If you're not Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, where you're getting a ton of four and five star recruits, development becomes a little bit more important and essential. And that's really what's got to happen uh, for Brett Bielema at Illinois. Uh, let's see. Pizza Yolo at Pizza Yolo 96. My grievance on all of the fans who are sour on this game. We get, playing a, we get to play a bordering state where we do a lot of recruiting. Mizzou has really increased their focus on keeping Missouri athletes in state. A strong Iowa win could help steal that talent away. Plus, I grew up in St. Louis and almost went to Mizzou. So Iowa beating the snot out of them would be really satisfying. Yeah, I mean – I get it. You know, Iowa won six games. You hope for a bigger bowl. You know, there's going down the stretch, there's that possibility of a New Year's six, depending on what Iowa does and what happens ahead of Iowa. Just wasn't a lot of movement, you know, ahead of Iowa because games were canceled. Uh, The college football playoff committee kind of kept – the usual suspects in the usual spots in that top 10. Uh, so turned out there wasn't really a great opportunity for Iowa to move up. And uh, 
Then you think of, you know, the Citrus Bowl, North, Northwestern beat Iowa, um, probably deserved that game, or Indiana deserved that game. Either way, those, those spots were probably going to be taken. Iowa, it sounds like, had a chance at the Outback Bowl, but Indiana probably um, – Probably was probably was more worthy of that bowl based on its season. Um, I will say that uh, if you're going to pick a year to go to the Music City Bowl, this is a good year just from travel purposes um, for those that you know families that want to go and, and watch their kids play in, in the game. It's just a little bit more. Uh, I think it's it's a, a little bit more logistically attractive than than getting on a plane and going to Tampa. So. There's that. So not bad. And, uh, you know, it is a chance to play Missouri. I don't think any Iowa fan, once they get sit down and watch that game on TV, if it's a real straightforward ass kicking of Missouri, I think everybody will enjoy it. Um, I just think people were a little disappointed that Iowa fell down uh, the the uh, pecking order a little bit. So um, JP. I-City at JPI-City3 asks, who in your opinion is the most knowledgeable about basketball and the Iowa press corps? <laughs> That's a loaded question. Is there any Hawkeye writer who can cover football but really knows basketball? It often seems to be the other way around. I, you know, that's a tough question. I think for – you put me in a tough spot because I'm talking about a lot of my friends here, but um, I, I think, I, I don't know as I know who's the most knowledgeable of the Iowa press corps, but I think, I think all of the regular um, reporters, uh, the, the, you know, journalists, media members, people in the press that cover Iowa basketball and Iowa football are all very knowledgeable. And I don't say that about, um, and again, they're my friends. I'm biased. I'll, I'll admit that. But I think there, there are plenty of people that um, I think John Bonenkamp, Rick Brown, who work for, for who work, uh, I, who I work with. I was about to say the other organization that I work with other than Hawk Fanatic, who pays me for this podcast and who will be the only one on this podcast who I promote, um, you know, are very knowledgeable, I think you know, Chad Leistico and Mark Emmert and Scott Docterman and Tom Cakert and whom I, and Steve Batterson and Don Doxey. Uh, I know I'm going to leave people out here, but, you know, Todd Bromelkamp uh, and Alex Kuhn from KGYM, a lot of knowledgeable people out there that know not only the two Iowa programs really, really well, but know those sports very well and have been around and covering them for a long time. I think uh, I, I know there will be people that will listen to this podcast or not that have, uh, you know, that don't like certain members of the Iowa media for various reasons or think that we're buffoons. But I think if you were uh, to look around the, uh, the big 10, I think the Iowa, the, the, um, experience and knowledge of the Iowa media press corps uh, is pretty, pretty in-depth and uh, has seen a lot. So don't know if that asked you, answered your question, but that's kind of, kind of where those were my thoughts on, on that. So uh, 
I think that uh, I think that is it. Unless I missed any, I think we got to them. Wow, that was one of the longer recent mailbag podcasts um, that uh, we've we've done here. So appreciate this is really about you guys. If you uh, air a grievance or have a question, uh, that's what makes these have some meat on the bone. And I really appreciate everybody who contributed today. Have the best of holidays. If you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. If it's another holiday, uh, enjoy the heck out of that. Uh, we made it through this year almost. Probably we'll be back next Wednesday with a mailbag. Uh, I don't know, though. We'll have to kind of see. Uh, the game, I think, starts at three. So if I can squeeze one in before then, uh, I may do so. I may hold it off till Thursday as well. Uh, New Year's Eve to do one just so we can get maybe some questions on the game. Kind of play it by ear, but enjoy the holidays. Have a great weekend uh, coming up. And uh, thanks again for all the contributions today and throughout the year. And uh, looking forward to uh, talking with you guys and, and uh, fielding your questions and comments again in the future. All right. This is Rob Howe. Thanks again. Merry Christmas. Talk to you soon. Rob Howe here, happy to be joined again by Mike Humple from Humple Chiropractic in North Liberty. This is our backer to cracker tip of the week. Mike, what do you have for us this week? Yeah, Rob, we're going to talk a little bit today about sleep hygiene, sleep, sleep tips. So one overlooked, probably one of the most overlooked um, health tips is sleeping properly, how to get restful sleep. Um, you know, we as chiropractors, again, we're, we look at the whole body health and the whole person. We're not limited just to adjusting the spine. So we will offer you know, ergonomic advice and, and other lifestyle tips to help improve your overall wellness. Um, it, it, it just, it, they all go hand in hand. But sleep tip number one, avoid late naps. You know, I wouldn't be sleeping in the afternoon. Um, you know, so try to keep naps to early afternoon, mid, midday at the latest. Number two, get on a regular sleep schedule. Try to go to bed at the same time every night. Try to get up at the same time every morning. You really want to get eight hours. As we age and get older, you know, move from, from childhood to teenage and, and get into our 30s, 40s, and, and later we may require less sleep. You could probably bump it down to seven hours, but really try to get eight hours of sleep a night. It's when your body, your nervous system, your brain is recharging. Our bodies themselves don't necessarily need to sleep. Our brain and nervous system needs to sleep. So stress levels go down, that sort of thing, when we're getting the sleep we need. Avoid late-night exercise, unless that's the only time you're getting exercise, because that's very important. Um, also, avoid eating late at night. Try to keep, uh, you know, stop eating at least, at least an hour to two hours before you go to bed. Um, keep the room cool, dark, and comfortable, okay? And then avoid stress or feeling angry prior to bed. If you've got any sort of stress reliever that you can do, sometimes it's exercising. Like I said, choose that over going to bed stressed out and, and feeling angry. And lastly, eliminate caffeine, nicotine, or alcohol near bedtime. Keep those to the earlier part of the day if you can. Uh, then when you're laying down, it's best to sleep on your back. Find a pillow to support the natural curve in your neck, okay? So you're not bending or, or you know, leaning too hard one way or the other, putting a lot of stress or strain on your neck. Um, the next best option when laying down in your bed, sleep on your side. Put a pillow between your knees, support your legs so you're not twisting 
and, and your hips aren't rolling over and twisting your back. Wake up pretty stiff and sore in the morning sometimes if you do that. But lastly, if you're a stomach sleeper, train yourself to sleep on your back or your side. I know it's hard, um, but every time you do it, just correct yourself, and sooner or later you'll retrain yourself to where you can comfortably sleep on your side or your back. That's it for today's tip of the week. More excellent information there from Mike Humple from Humple Chiropractic in North Liberty. You can find them at humplechiro.com. Give them a call at 319-325-3558. And they are located at 1295 Jordan Street, Suite 6B in North Liberty, Iowa, 52317. Rob, 